Number one, HR is not about HR. It's about success in the marketplace. Number two, through talent, organization, and leadership. And number three is my forearms, by reinventing HR, by getting HR to live up to its opportunity in today's world. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Well, happy holidays and happy new year to Googleization Nation. Here we are, Jason, with our last show of the year. I don't know how we got here. This is number 50. Pretty incredible. But somehow we moved through 2021. At times it didn't seem to be going so fast. But when you look back, it was another pretty weird year. And here we are. Absolutely. And what an incredible way to end the year on such a high note with our guest today, Dave Ulrich. Yeah, I I don't know if we can get any better than that. We've had great guests and we will continue to have great guests, but this is certainly one of our keystones and milestones and we're really appreciating here. For those who don't know, Dave is has been called, not sure who gave him that name, but been called the father of modern HR. And it is absolutely true. So we're going to have a really robust discussion. We've been going back and forth for the last few weeks on LinkedIn with a lot of the things that Dave was talking about. And uh, we're certainly going to be talking about that because HR is definitely at a tipping point. Recruitment's at a tipping point. Businesses are at a tipping point. Where are they going to go? We Just as a lead up, for those of you who missed it, you can catch it on YouTube or any of the podcasts. But two weeks ago, we had Jackie Green from ITR Economics. And the good news for everybody is the economy is going to continue continue to grow, even despite the Omicron virus and all the other disruptions that we're going to face, it's going to continue to grow. Maybe a little slower, but it's kind of the eye of the storm, really. But it looks like the economy is going to grow. And then last week, we had Evan Sohn from Recruiting.com. And Evan was talking about, you know, all the disruption going on in the marketplace and labor markets and, and what they're seeing. And the demand for labor is only going to accelerate. And companies aren't very good at responding to the change. So perfect timing to have Dave kind of to round out that that triple event and the triple crown, I guess, of, of our forecast for 2022. Because Dave's got some great ideas, but I know Dave con- shares me- much of the concern that we had. Uh, before we get there, just want to welcome you back because last week you had your son was a little out of kilter, I guess. Yeah. One more disruption, but I, I understand he's doing really, really well and, and back and forth. So it's good to have you back here. Absolutely. Yeah, totally missed, you know, being away last week. But thank you for the thoughts and prayers from you and so many other friends. Happy to report he's doing fine. Choked at dinner time, And one of those things, you never think that you need CPR training until you actually need it in the moment. And so thank God, you know, I was trained in that and we were able to get him to a hospital. So he's just fine, rounded the corner, but certainly a big scare. Well, I'm certainly happy to hear everything's worked out. And uh, for everybody out there, whether you're you're perfectly healthy now or, or, you know, hopefully everybody stays safe and well. And we'll do some of the roundup at the end of the show. But I don't want to really waste any more time doing our chit chat. We want to bring on Dave because Dave got has so much to say. And he's we need to get him here. We need to help figure out what the path is for HR in 2022 and beyond. There's a couple of models he's worked on, but I, I heard him speak just a few weeks ago. He did a great webinar. I believe it was through the Allegis Group, and he was talking about the universal workforce model. So we'll we'll want to hear about that as well. But certainly, there's a there's a lot of challenges ahead, and so let's bring Dave on and and let's get started. And there he is. Hey, Dave. 
Great to see each of you. Great to see each of you, and especially great to see Jason wearing my t-shirt. My teacher, D. <laughs> That's my right. Lead. So great to see you. And Jason, I didn't realize you had family issues. Uh, prayers are always, and family are more important than work. So thank you Appreciate for that, that update. Thank you. Yeah, and that fits in the theme of, of where you know moving HR from a compliance to a, going back, putting the H in HR again. I guess, Dave, have you ever you've been doing this for a while? I mean, we've both we've all taken circuitous routes to get to this place and, and addressing this subject and in an HR, but you've been doing this for a while. Have you ever seen such a kind of a crazy, weird point? I've been doing this for 25 years. And with the day I started, I remember hearing that HR needs a seat at the table and then they got the seat. Now they need a voice, but it really seems that this is, this is a tipping point moment. What the future of HR is going to look like. Oh, I would agree. I mean, I've been around for a long time. It scares me when people say, wow, my father studied with you or my mother studied with you. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm old. Thank goodness ideas don't get old even when bodies do. You know, for me, one of the takeaways, and I don't know who said it, Bill Gates gets attributed, is context is the kingdom. It's the setting in which we live and work. And then you need content, which is the king or the queen, the activity. This is the strangest context we've ever seen. I mean, physically with the virus that everybody, some people predicted it's going to be over by Easter. Well, that didn't happen. Then it's going to be over by summer. Then it's going to be over when we all wear masks and isolate. That didn't happen. It's going to be over with vaccines. I don't think we know what the physical reality is. It's just new. And you complement that with social trends around racism and injustice that it just is a context that's pressuring political toxicity. It just not only in the United States, but around the world, the political toxicity is horrible. The emotional malaise, the digital revolution. Whoa. All of that context is like a perfect storm that really focuses on HR. In 2008 and 9, it was the financial and economic crisis, debt, managing debt. This is clearly the organization and people crisis. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. This is now is the time for HR to step up to those opportunities. You know, it's interesting that you bring up, well, there's a couple of things you said, talk about the perfect storm. And, you know, 1999, I, I gave a presentation and talked about the perfect labor storm, because if you're around long enough, everything seems to recycle it. Although this is, is, a, is a lot more challenging because we anticipated in some degree that this would happen. And it's happened, but we didn't expect that it would be accelerated by a pandemic. But your reference 2008 and 2009, you know, and at that time, Nassim Tlaib, who talked about the fragility of the financial markets. And, you know, he, he coined the phrase about creating an anti-fragile organization. And that was how do you grow bigger and stronger and better despite, it's not just resiliency. Resiliency just means you bounce back. But how do you build a bigger and stronger and better organization in spite of all the changes that are going on? And when 2008 happened, the housing crisis, it just ripped back the curtain on the fragility of the financial markets. And here we are. And I've been saying all along that the pandemic didn't cause the labor shortages, which a lot of people want to deflect and blame it is it just exposed all the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses and the fragility of human capital management or talent management, whatever you want to call it, up until now. I see you nodding, so I'm assuming you're- Oh, here. yeah. I mean, I think when you pull back those external trends, physical, socially, emotional, digital, you're left kind of looking, what do we do to respond? And I think that's where we know. And one of the things I, I find kind of disconcerting is when people say, I know the new normal. Let me tell you. And I go, wow, you must be rich. You bought Google and Amazon and Tesla stock a year ago. And they go, no, I didn't. And I say, don't, don't tell me you know the new normal. 
we don't know the new normal. You know, who could have predicted some of the, the strains and some of the political crises we have? So how do we lead in that world? How do we make things respond when we don't know what's going to happen? And I think that's an in interesting intellectual challenge. I don't know the new normal, but I know I got to respond. And so when I look at HR and say, what do you have to do to respond? I like to look at three assumptions and I lay them out real quick for your audience. And by the way, this is not about HR. This is about the business. And so my first one is that HR is not about HR. HR is not about our HR function. It's not about our HR competence. HR is about helping your organization compete and succeed in the marketplace. I find that assumption so pressing because if an organization doesn't succeed in the marketplace, there is no workplace. I find some HR people saying it's all about people. It's all about well-being. Well, unless the employee well-being leads to a customer experience that creates value for the customer, there is no workplace. I, I'm old. I've had the privilege of working with a lot of companies that don't exist anymore. Do you, I don't know if you remember, I don't, I hate to even list them, but remember how we enamored with digital equipment that shows how old I am. People express and, and toys R us circuit city. I mean, all of these companies that were doing exceptional people work, but they failed in the marketplace. So my first assumption is HR is not about HR. It's about how do we help an organization succeed? with customers, with investors, with communities outside the company. Assumption two, I'll do this quickly and I won't bore you. By the way, it's so tough to not get into my lecture mode. <laughs> Number two, what does HR uniquely contribute? I love what you said. We've been at the table. There are some people saying, get HR to the table. By the way, my comment is if you're not at the table now, you don't belong in HR because sure. uh, you'll never get there. What do we contribute? I believe it's three things, and I feel strongly about this. Number one, HR is not about HR. It's creating value in the marketplace. Two, through, and I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm really going to embarrass myself because I'm going to do hand gestures because they're more memorable. Talent are my fingers. There are psychologists like Jason and my wife and others who study people. Do you have the right talent? Organization is my fist. Do you have the right culture, the right workplace, workforce, workplace? And third is leadership. When HR is at that mythical table, whatever that is, what do we contribute? The right people, the right organization, and the right leadership. All three become essential. I call that human capability. Human is the talent, organization is the capability, and leadership. By the way, here's the most embarrassing thing. I try to help business leaders and HR remember it. So I say, think talent, organization, leadership, and then your forearms represent the HR system that sustain it. So now you've got talent, organization, leadership, and you can do the HR wave. That's embarrassing. It's stupid. It makes me look like a fool, which is fine because I often am. But that's the second agenda. Number one, HR is not about HR. It's about success in the marketplace. Number two, through talent, organization, and leadership. And number three is my forearms, by reinventing HR, by getting HR to live up to its opportunity in today's world. That was too long. I apologize, but I did a stupid thing in the middle of it so that you'll remember. That's what I think we need to think about going forward. So, Dave, one is not stupid at all. Actually, I was taking By the way, I'm going to make you do it. So I'm going to make you <laughs> do this. Do this. Okay, there we go. Jason's a psychologist. I'm, got sure, I'm sure that in that infinity symbol, Jason, I'm going to get interpreted. <laughs> but I, I know that's stupid, but I can remember. It's not just about your people. It's about the team, how they work together. And it's about the leadership that pulls them together and the HR services, my forearms, that sustain them. Okay, that's it. That's all I got. 
Well, you got a lot more than that. We're, we're going to pull it out of you. So let me go back to something that, that you talked about initially. And, and again, because HR tends to love best practices. They love benchmarking themselves. But it seems that benchmarking against other HR practices and not against the economic performance of the business or benchmarking it against how other companies are performing in the marketplace is a real handicap. By the way, Ira, if we could do a high five, I don't know if we can do a high five by video. We just did a high five. This is one of, I have a lot of passions. This is one. I love to see evolution of ideas. Here's the evolution. Stage one, you benchmark. How do I do versus someone else? And we cannot apply that to HR. We can apply, I've got a lot of people tell me, Dave, you weigh too much. Well, you benchmark, how much should I weigh? Stage two is what's the best practice. People give me a diet. You should try the Numi diet. You should try the whatever diet. So you benchmark to find out how you compare, you get a best practice. Then you go to stage three, predictive analytics. What makes it a best practice? Well, I think we got to go to stage four, guidance. What's the best practice for you? So I'll use weight. I started at a personal level. We got a psychologist on the phone who will help me. What should I weigh? Benchmark. That's useful. What's the best practice to help me weigh the right thing? What's the predictive analytics? Why is it good? Then the better question is, Dave, what are you trying to do with your health? What weight works for you? What diet works for you? Don't come in and tell me the diet. Now, in HR, that's so true. Here's what somebody did to hire somebody. Wow, that's really good. Here's our ratio of hiring benchmark. Here's the best practice. Everybody loves them. By the way, I've written books about them. So have you. I think your Googleization work is brilliant. Here's the predictive analytics, why they're good. The better question is, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. And how can I guide you to reach the goals that matter most for you? I find that guidance question fascinating. But how it, do we provide guidance? In some respect, shouldn't we identify the guidance first? Or the context first, you know, and here's where we want to go and what metrics will help us get there. That's what guidance is about. When I was young, I went to a guidance counselor. I didn't know what I wanted to study. Your first question is, what are your strengths? What are your passions? What are your interests? Where do you want to go with your life? Mm -hmm. Now I'm old. I can go to a retirement guidance counselor. What do you want in retirement? I want to live in Northwest Pennsylvania. Wow, that would be the fantasy of my life. Or in Indianapolis. I mean, those are just where I want to live. And I mean, I got you both, I think. The guidance counselor says, what's interesting to you? So in HR, when I get to that mythical table or business conversation, my first comment is not, wow, look at this HR practice called hybrid work. That's a, that's a hot one right now. Look at great resignation. How do we change it? My first question is to the business team, where are we headed? What are our indicators of success? We think there's five around employee productivity, employee morale, strategic reinvention, customer share, customer service, financial performance, and community reputation. Business leader, where are we going against that balanced scorecard? Then, as you said so brilliantly, Ira, would you like to know how to manage human capability, talent, organization, leadership, and HR to make that happen? I will give us guidance that works for us. And if some other company does A, B, and C really well, they should, but what guides us to the outcomes we care about? And Dave, that's really powerful. I know we're in the spirit right now at the end of the year, a lot of people and organizations are thinking about the future and change and, and thinking about what are the things we need to stop doing? What are the things we need to start doing? I know context absolutely matters, but are there some general uh, principles that you believe are things HR heading into 2022 needs to start doing and need to stop doing? 
Yeah, let me let me go back to where I, I talked, Jason, because I think the principles we've talked about get, get spiraled around that are powerful. One, start outside in. Start with that first premise. HR is not about HR, but success in the marketplace. For example, in our world, a lot of people say, you've got to build this culture. You've got to get people engaged and innovative. Well, my first question is, culture from the outside in is, what do we want to be known for by our best customers? What do we want to be known for? And in some cases, it's innovation. Google. I mean, Iris made his career around Googleization. They want to be known as the innovator. That's terrific. Walmart is not the innovator. They want to be known for low price. Amazon wants to be known for customer service. In HR, when we start from the outside in, what do we want to be known for? That shapes our people. Let's hire against that. That shapes our culture. That shapes what we called our leadership brand. That's an agenda for HR. Don't just say there's one answer and one size fits all. Let's understand what our marketplace requires of us. And so that's one of the places I'd head to. There are some patterns we find. I mean, we've done, we, I make a joke of this stupid hand gestures. We love research. We've just done three major research projects, one with 29,000 respondents, one with 1,000 companies, and another one with 7,000 companies that I'm not yet able to talk about. What we're finding is in the middle of this pandemic, there are some common patterns that are affecting, for example, one, in the talent space. What's the most important thing in the talent space? Is it hiring? Is it training? Is it career development? Is it DEI? Is it employee experience? Our research across companies, now remember, this is general, and, and generalized ideas don't apply to everyone. Talent acquisition is the most critical issue. Can we get the right people in the right job at the right place with the right skills? Right behind that is the employee experience. Those seem to be driving those five outcomes. I'll do one other finding we had in the HR space, and some of this audience is in HR. If you're a business leader, I think you can adapt it. A lot of business people or HR people are saying, let's redesign the HR function. What we found is the design of your function doesn't matter very much. What drives results in HR is the relationships among the HR people and how the HR people work with the business people. I love that finding. That's with a thousand companies. It's pretty robust. Now it doesn't apply to every company. And for, I'll just end with that and it may trigger some discussion. In, in building the right organization, we often do a, an exercise called RASI, responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. And you look at decisions, who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted. My good wife and I have been married over 45 years. Not once in 45 years have we sat down Sunday night and said, who, we got to buy food. We got to do laundry. We got to pay bills. Who's got the R? Who's got the A? Who's got the C? Who's got the I? We don't do that. We have a great relationship. Last week, by the way, a couple of weeks, well, last week, she was really busy with Christmas. She it happens to be our holiday of choice. Not everybody's. Guess what? I did some shopping. I did some laundry because I, I covered. Two weeks before that, I was swamped. She did it. I plead us in HR. Role clarity matters. Relationship management matters even more. That's the kind of findings we're getting, Jason. And I've got dozens of those. It would just bore you till you, till you slept for hours. But I love it. I absolutely love it. And it, it made in mind like a question that I had coming out of that, what you just shared is what does good communication look like between HR and those executives? Because I often hear in my work, you know, HR, the leaders, they think they're talking the same language as the yeah. CEO or the COO or the CFO, but many times they're not. Are there some clear things that you have yeah, found that are the key talking points for the ways me, to communicate I, with I, those leaders? Again, I love research because I think research gives us evidence that helps sustain some ideas. We've studied HR competencies for 35 years with 100,000 people. 
in the last round of research with 29,000, we changed the metaphor. For 35 years, the metaphor was an adjective and a noun, strategic partner, employee champion, change agent. Now it's a verb. So instead of being the strategic partner, your job in HR, no matter where you work, is to accelerate business. I like that. When I meet with my business team, my job is not to be a change agent, it's to accelerate business. Second, advance human capability. And remember, human capability is those three stupid things. Talent, organization, leadership. Four, third, mobilize information. Bring good insight and data. Fourth, foster collaboration. And five, simplify complexity. By the way, I hope those five simplify the complexity of a big data set. <laughs> but, but I love the metaphor, Jason, of a verb, not a noun. A noun is kind of static. You're a change agent. Oh, that's good. No, your job is to accelerate business, to advance human capability. And, and I think in HR, when we focus our, our work on, on verbs, my undergraduate degree is in English. So I like, I like what words mean, but I like that concept of focus on the verbs. What's the actions we take, no matter where we are. Dave, speaking about communication on that theme, we had a, a nice comment from Tamsin and thank you, Tamsin, for joining in and, and suggesting that to us. But she, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. She said, she's really interested in your opinion. There it goes on resilience, I mean, bouncing back. And isn't that an old definition? Well, you know, I can go off on for weeks on this, but isn't there a new view that human resilience is, is about the ability to change? What, what, what no is question. your, you know, in our field, and again, I love to be a little bit provocative to look at the history of a field and then to provoke. We love to look back. That's best practice. What have people done? We've done resilience. We've done learning. We've done grit. All of those metaphors essentially look back. What did you do? What I love to do in this world is also look forward. How do we anticipate what can be? It's good to look back. It's good to look back. I see what I did, but I'd rather anticipate what could be. And so for me, resilience is really useful. It's what did I learn? But it's even more useful to say, how can I anticipate what I can do? And if I go back and get locked into what I've done, I mean, my goodness, we have a famous psychologist on the phone. You can get locked into your past and re repeat cycles of behavior. I'd rather get have the ability to celebrate and create a future that doesn't lock me into my past. So, Tamzine, I love the comment, but I love learning. I love looking back, grit, resilience, all that. But I love even more anticipating, creating, envisioning what can be. And that gives me an open space to move forward. So that's, I don't disagree with resilience. Who can disagree? It's not bouncing back. That's bouncing back. It still is the word back. I'd rather say create what's, what the future is. Anticipate, explore, look at all those forward-looking verbs. I can't give up this opportunity to put it in perspective. And, and then we're going to actually take a quick break gonna, uh, for about 60 seconds, and then we'll come back and continue this conversation, Dave. But when we're putting this in perspective, when we're talking about adaptability and change, you know, we need grit and resilience because no matter what we choose to do, we're going to continue to have to move forward and we're going get, to get knocked down. We're going to have more setbacks. They're going to be coming more frequently, more intense, and we're going to have to have this ability to bounce back fast. But we also need, and you mentioned learning, and, and certainly there's an emph emphasis on that, but we need to unlearn. We need to stop. And Jason asked this question before, what do we need to stop doing that is either not effective or a complete waste of time? But one of the biggest challenges is having that kind of open mindset. Who should we listen to? What should we, who, who should we go? We're listening to you, Dave. And, and there's so many other good thought leaders there that, that people need to listen to and absorb that. But oftentimes there's a contradiction of thoughts. You know, it, my analogy to this is, 
is listening to CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News at the same time, and instead of getting frustrated and angry, we find how do we make sense of it? And people are really struggling with that. How do you connect the dots and read between the lines? So when we come back from our break, I want to continue that because I can't, I think it's Wednesday. We're halfway there. I'll bet I, I answered, responded to this question 10 times already of what do you think about in-person people going back to work? What do you think about companies going back to in-person? What do you think about hybrid? What do you think about remote? And to me, it's the wrong question that they're asking because it doesn't align with the business. So I want to get your thoughts on it and then how organizations are going to have to change. And it's not just becoming more resilient. And thank you, Tamsin, for, for that question. We are going to take a really short break. We appreciate you being here, listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization for being part of Googleization Nation. We'll be back in one minute. Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is, is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way. Hey, welcome back to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're here with Jason, my co-host, and the father of modern HR, Dave Ulrich. We've been having a great conversation. Hey, Dave, when we left off, I kind of pitched the question that I'm being asked, I'm sure you are, many, many times, of, you know, what do you think about where the workplace is headed? And I know you have the, the utilization model, but it's so frustrating that you keep getting this question is, do you think we should be remote? Do you think we should be hybrid? Do you think we should be in person? And the reality is, going back to what we talked about in the first, just a few minutes ago, how does it align with your strategy? How does it align? You know, I, right before the break, I, you said some, prof by the way, I've got a page of notes already. So thank you. That's my commitment to learning. So I'm modeling, I hope what I teach. Number one, failure is an opportunity to learn. I, that's, that's a quote from Carol Dweck that I, I gave my wife that on a pillow last year and I should have brought it in. It's in her office. Second, who do you listen to? I think that's a fascinating paradox that I like to listen to your own inner voice. That's the personal guidance, but also to the marketplace. That leads me to your third point where you started with the question. Hybrid work is about where we work and how we work. And I so agree. It's the wrong question. Where we work and how we work to me doesn't matter very much. I think the question of why we work and what we work on does matter. For example, I'm going to go back. I'm a, I'm a broken record. I'm recycling stuff. I don't care as much where you're working. You can be in an office. You can be in a studio. You can be in a coffee shop. You can be in an airplane on a, on, in a hotel. Why are you working? To create value for a customer outside the company. How are you working? I don't care if it's through technology. I don't care how it is. What are you doing to create value for a customer, an investor, and a community outside? 
that creates the first premise that HR is not about HR. It's helping an organization succeed in its marketplace. So the question I would ask is the boundary of work is not a place. I get up in the morning, I drive to work, I'm in my office and I go home. No, the boundary of work are the values that we create for our customers, our investors in our communities through the way we treat our employees. I don't disagree with hybrid work, but I think to some extent, it's kind of like, remember when the virus started, work at home, find a place at home that's private, that's good. Yeah, fine, that's fine. Wear a mask, when you, yeah, that's fine. But the real issue is what are you doing today that will create value for your customer tomorrow or in the future? And how do I, as a leader, help you make that happen? Because that's where the power is going to come from. That's where the employee passion is going to come from. And when we can do that as leaders, as business and HR leaders, boy, we create some incredibly good organizations. And I love the work you've just described in Success Performance Solutions, the commercial. Agility is central to that. I should have highlighted in our research, I talked about talent is acquisition, the HR function is the relationship, the organizational capability, the dominant one is agility. How do we create a future? How do we anticipate what's next? How do we learn? How do we fail forward? Those kinds of issues that we're all working around become so critical to the future. Okay, I gave you way too much stuff there. Sorry about that. We just finished up. In fact, I got two more two more students. I got to finish grading, but just taught my organizational change management class. And we use Blue Ocean for those of familiar Blue Ocean Shift, Blue Ocean Strategy. But the one thing that I got out of that, forget the strategy, forget all that stuff, is that they talk about what you just reinforced multiple times, how everything you do in order to grow, you need to either create new value, which is tough sometimes, or add value. What are you doing to add value to the customer? We also talked about one of my favorite, other favorite books that we used was The Disruption Mindset by Charlene Lee. And, and Charlene, I, don't know that, I, don't, I don't know that book. Say it again. Well, definitely look it up. Charlene's phenomenal. She's even Daniel Pink described her one of the best business minds today. But one of the things she talks about is she says, focus on the future customer. And I think that is so rich for HR. It's not who's showing, who's knocking at our door today, but the value will be who should be knocking at our door tomorrow and how do we access that talent? Boy, do I so agree. We've written a lot about success in the marketplace has two criteria. One is doing something the customer values today or tomorrow. Two, in a unique way that your competitor cannot easy copy. By the way, that first one is what we've just, we've centered around outside in, HR in the marketplace. The second one is what's unique. I think it used to be access to financial capital. Today in the global economy, money moves. If you've got an idea, there's a global shark tank and you can find an investor. Strategy product. You know, today you, you can disaggregate products and strategies. Third, technology and digital has a uniqueness, but we believe the fourth capability is that human capability, talent, organization, leadership. That's unique. And what the customer gets is something that is incredibly valuable. By the way, before we break, and I know time's running, you've had 40 shows. The, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. What's one message you wanna communicate at the end of this year that sets a framework for next year? I wanna ask each of you, because I've not had the privilege of sitting where you've sat, and you. I just would love you to give me the headline of what, what are you seeing that all of us need to pay attention to? You've had great, great shows. Jason, I'm going to defer to you first. I got, I have mine, but I don't want to, I don't want to sully yours. 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, mine came into focus last week. I mean, there I was having, you know, dinner at our dinner table and my one and a half year old son is choking to death, literally. And you have to all of a sudden start doing back thrusts, you know, to try and save his life and call the paramedics. And it's amazing the the thoughts and the emotions that run through you at that time to help you understand what's important. And I just started recalling so many of our guests this year and the theme of so many episodes has been about dealing with VUCA and and understanding adaptability. And certainly, you know, Ira is one of the gurus that we have on that. And so the many things I've learned from him and our guests on, you know, how addicted to certainty we all are and how we must be able to adapt and change not only on a personal level, but our organizations as living organisms, they must be able to do the same. I think that's the biggest thing that's top of mind for me that we're trying to help our clients with and that I'm also trying to do as well, you know, on a personal level is, you know, really building up those muscles that are a key part of being adaptable and evolving. Thank you. And just as a reference, I know you mentioned VUCA, just for anyone who's not familiar with that, that's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, one of my favorite acronyms that I use that perfectly describes our world today. Dave, to your question, thank you for asking that. I appreciate that. Put, put us on the hot seat for, for, for the final show. You know, my focus has become, you know, I did my TED Talk five years ago, and it was about making change work for you. And it was, you know, I, I loved doing it, and it was a good message. But certainly 2020 brought, just highlighted it, shined this, shown a spotlight on it, that there's a lot of people that are getting left behind. And it's not about robots. It's not about technology. There's a lot of companies that will be left behind, which will leave other people left behind. It's really helping people understand that, you know, as I close the show every week, the shift is going to hit somebody's plans, <laughs> is, is all our plans. It, it did, it will, it will continue to do so. And helping people become more comfortable, more comfortable being uncomfortable. It's a nature. It's a pain. I mean, there's times I love change and I'm a junkie, but it's been too much over the last year. And, and, but it's more than just, you know, we've talked about a lot of ideas and tools and things we can do when we talk about grit and resilience and mental flexibility, growth mindset, all that stuff. But ultimately, we have to help organizations create an environment that allows that to happen and be supportive and I think that's the biggest struggle. I'm going to throw it back to you of, you know, Let me, by the way, I can't add much to that. I, again, I think one of the takeaways for me, I post on LinkedIn every Tuesday, I've written a lot of books. And what I find is that a book takes these for me about a year to get written about a year to get published and about a year to get promoted. And by the time the book is out, it's three years late. So I've started posting on LinkedIn because the cycle time is pretty quick. In fact, I'm writing. I wrote the column I posted Tuesday on Sunday and I, and by, and they're not as cleanly written, but the metaphor that came to mind and it hits me with both of you. Imagine Jason and I were, somebody said, let's go for a run. Your question is, where are we running to? How fast are we running? What's the goal? And they said, just run. That's the world we live in today. How do you not have a clear, clear outcome and still succeed? You got to focus on the process, not the content. You got to focus on the relationship and the person. And I love, Jason, what you just said about your son. I think those wake-up calls are so prescient and powerful. The, the relationships and people really do matter. You got you to make progress without perfection. Failure is an opportunity to learn. And you've got to begin to enjoy the journey. Laugh at yourself. And, and I think that metaphor, we're going to go for a run. I don't know where I'm going to run, but I'm going to run. 
I'm going to run hard. I'm going to run fast. I'm going to run aggressively because that's what we're after. And then finally for me that I would add to both of your comments is the ultimate accountability in an organization is not just the business leaders or the HR leaders, it's the employee. How do we help empower employees? My test of a leader, one of my tests of a leader, it's a simple one. Does the employee leave the interaction with the leader feeling better or worse about him or herself? Well, that's what leaders allow employees to be accountable. I'm accountable for a run and not be weary is a great metaphor. I'm accountable for my run. And I want to create leaders and organizations that help employees accept that accountability and make their lives better. I, I think there, and I hope 2022 will build this virtuous spiral, not just a cycle to go back, but a spiral. Employee engagement will lead to customer engagement will lead to organizational abundance, whatever word you want to use. We've used a lot of words today. That cycle of the employee, the customer, the organization, that spiral going forwards creates a virtuous success. Now, that's a little fantasy and idealistic, but that's my agenda. I want you as an employee who's listening to this to have a great experience at work, to feel abundance. I want you as a leader to make sure that every employee you engage with leaves feeling better about him or herself. I want us as organizational architects to design and deliver organizations that create a setting where customers get value. And when that spiral works, magic happens. It doesn't always happen. It's not without difficulty, but that's the agenda that I, in my Pollyanna kind of way, hope that, that Success Performance Solutions will continue to help drive. And I said the name of your company twice. So, <laughs> Dave, I, I want to thank you personally for what you just shared, because I've had family members who were, were part of, I'll just call it the matrix. You just put one foot in front of the other. You don't ask the existential questions of does work bring value to my life? Does it make me feel good about myself and my identity? Am I helping to make the world into what I think it should be? And does my work help me do that? I had family members who for years, you just stayed loyal to your employer no matter what. And I saw the toll that it took on their mental health and their physical health. And then by the time they get to retirement age, they couldn't enjoy it because of the chronic stress. And I can't tell you how many other people, clients as well, that I've spoken to where they're going through this recalibration or this reset of thinking about their life and the work that they do. And is it aligned to who they want to become? And so I can't thank you enough for sharing that because I have no doubt we have listeners today who are thinking about those things. And the things that you shared, I have no doubt, is going to help them ask the right questions so that they can live an abundant life doing the kind of work that brings meaning and value to them as well. You know, I, I got asked, Jason, to give a commencement talk at, at university. And it's usually they have these big famous people, rags to riches or some horrible life story. I had great parents. I didn't, they don't have a rags to riches, but I get to coach. These are the questions I gave graduates and you just laid them out. Question one, what do I want? I think if you as an employer, if we as employees and people can't answer what we want, somebody will answer it for us, not in our interest. That's the example you just gave of your family. Do I know what I want? Do I know my passions, my interests, my values? Number two, who do I serve? Am I giving to somebody else so that my wants get magnified by creating value for others? Number three, how do I build? Am I creating an infrastructure and organization or a setting? And I was alluded to it three times today that the organization builds a setting. That's the team. What do I want? Who do I serve? How do I build? 
And I love the fourth question, where am I on my journey? The where am I, just a quick 30-second diatribe. And it's, it's out of religion, but it's not a religious setting. It's a religious setting, but it's pervasive. Almost all religions go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve made a mistake. They partook of the fruit. They were cast out. God came down and he said, Adam, where are you? For decades, I thought, God's asking Adam, are you hiding behind a rock? And then it hit me, God can see behind a rock. Adam and Eve, you made a mistake. Where are you is not physical, behind a rock, behind a tree. Where are you on your journey? Are you learning? Are you growing? So for me, Jason, my powerful self-questions, and by the way, I'm laughing as you're saying, because I don't have answers to them either. What do I want? My strengths, my passions, my interests, are they realistic? Who do I serve? How do I build? And where am I? I find those questions very compelling for, for me and often for those whom I have the privilege of coaching. Dave, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add an asterisk to, to that. And number five is you are not defined by your job title. So. Oh, <laughs> I hope um, we, we could have continued this conversation for a long time. But, and I know there's many people that are going to want to do that, including us. How can others get in touch with you? What's the best way? You know, I have an email that I follow pretty quickly and I'm pretty good at email. That works for me. I was teaching a group of students recently and I said, email me. And they said, college. And they said, how old are you? <laughs> but I still use email. It's my initials, D-O-U at UMich, University of Michigan, U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. Or even better, go on LinkedIn. I am finding LinkedIn in this last two years is a global water cooler. I get so many, by the way, a lot of the comments are just frivolous. So I, I ignore those and, and every once in a while you get a troll and that's fine. But, but what I really love is the dialogue because there, if you have a comment or a question, I'll probably respond within the next day and we can have a dialogue. Join me on LinkedIn. I post every Thursday, every uh, Tuesday. Excellent. Dave, and then also you can go up to your, uh, the company website, which is- Oh RBL. yeah, I have a company too. I forgot about that. <laughs> RBL. <laughs> we got that one. So Dave- we're so grateful that you took the time to, to be here today. What a rich way to, and robust way to, to end the year or to kick off 2022. We, we will continue this conversation. And again, just very grateful. Hope you have a happy new year. Uh, and hopefully you're going to come back. Anytime, anyplace. Now is the time. By the way, that, that when Martin Luther King gave his famous I have a dream speech, that was the first phrase he repeated. Now is the time. He said it five times. Definitely an English measure. Absolutely. Uh, what a great true, hero. True and true. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Well, I can't believe it. We need more time. We need more time, Ira. My goodness. Well, we got 2022. We got uh, lots of shows, and we're really excited for some big announcements coming back, especially about the People Forward Network. Uh, you'll be hearing more about that in just a few weeks. But in the meantime, Jason, Appreciate it. You reached out to Dave and, and got him on the show. So thank you for doing that. Um, and you joined, you know, we met about almost two years ago, at, almost at the beginning of the pandemic, reached out to you, but you joined Geek Skeezers in Googleization and it has been fun. It's been a blast and really excited about looking forward to the next couple months. So, but to you uh, and you and your family, you know, wishing you a very, very happy new year. And, you know, we will, we're definitely going to be in touch for many other projects that we're working on, shared projects, but appreciate you being here and for all you're doing. Likewise, partner, appreciate, you know, getting to be a part of Googleization Nation and supporting this important work. And I think that was a fitting way of what Dave just shared there, what Martin Luther King said, now is the time, 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 five times. It is, it's here and glad to be on this journey to support 
our wonderful HR leaders and businesses in 2022. And thank you to uh, everyone who's uh, been part of Googleization Nation. We continue to grow, grow, really, really growing on listeners and people viewing the Geek Skeezers and Googleization. This is our 50th show. It's the most we've ever done in one year. And we're doing that because we've got great guests. Thank you for all the guests as well. But they want to be on the show and we want to be sharing this. Uh, we didn't have anybody listening and paying attention. And uh, Tamsin, I just want to thank you. Hopefully you're still on. You asked a few questions. You had a few other comments. And we will personally get back to you to continue, continue that conversation. So one or all of us will be in touch. And, and thanks again. And to Roxy, once again, thanks for, for being here every week, getting us on the air, doing things seamlessly, and uh, looking forward to working with you next year. My final comment, last time this year, don't let the shift hit your plans.